Grace Unfolding. This is Jonathan Buckley. I'm here with Pastor Troy Elby. Um, we're going to do Heaven. Happy New Year. Happy yeah. New Year. Don't forget our tagline, John. What is our tagline? Grace Unfolding, where we're unfolding the riches of God's grace for God's people. That's right. Yes, I should probably know that by now, but I don't. Anyways, going forward, we have um, Heaven Part 2 today. Um, first, we're going to go through a little confession that we have to make as as your podcast. Uh-oh. Yeah, so... Um, first couple episodes, we didn't actually get a whole lot of feedback. So we went up, we went ahead and we made up some, uh, listener comments. <laughs> some of you may have caught on to the fact that, that Elon and, and all these other people weren't actually writing these things, but, um, they actually exist Elon and Vivian and Cindy, but, um, Cindy did not write in confused about a recipe and, and Vivian uh, probably didn't write in either. No, no, she, she didn't write in about the Powell family, but. Uh, some of you, some of you caught us. We got, we got, we, we you know, you, you were concerned, and uh, we appreciated that. Yeah, no, we uh, we got some sympathy. We got some sympathy and some defensive comments uh, uh, in our behalf. So um, we will get to some of the uh, feedback and questions we've gotten, which uh, we did on heaven. Thank we you. We did get some questions, um, some very pointed questions, which is great, and um, so we're gonna get to that. Uh, but first, why don't we kind of get into a uh, – why don't we review kind of where we're at, Troy? Yeah, yeah. It's probably good that folks go back if they didn't get a chance and listen to the part one, the episode previous, episode number three, because we, we talk a little bit about uh, heaven. And all of this got started because in the month of December, I was preaching, um, discussing different aspects of Christ's coming, both his – first coming and then his second coming. And there is a promise in Isaiah 11 that gives this grand vision. It's a forward-looking uh, future grace reality that talks about the Messiah, what he offers, what he brings to uh, this existence. It's a, it's a place that the Messiah reigns and rules in such a way that you know, people actually get along all the time. Even animals uh, can coexist. And so there's this glorious thought. We talked about that um, a little bit. We talked about uh, how heaven is a, a phrase used in Scripture many times. Some of those times it's actually referring just to um, the skies, like the firmament, the the stars, the, the right. clouds. But there is actually uh, references to places that we should long for that are future-oriented that uh, that God has promised, and and sometimes people think of heaven as well. To be honest, boring, uh, right? I mean, if you just envision this disembodied existence where you're uh, like an angel, you know, sitting on a cloud, plucking a harp, singing praise songs forever, we talked about how that sounds uh, boring. But it, it's not. There is a physicality. There's a there's a, a reality to heaven that is yet to come that is actually um, beautiful because it is the the fullness of glory. It's the manifestation of what God had promised, promises um, for us that he is actually going. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare um, a place for you. And, and as it is written in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 2, verse 9, by the way, this is going to be a little bit heavy today, Jonathan, just on Bible verses. And so folks might need to just, you know, jot some of these down and look them up for themselves. But so first, all you non-Bible readers, slackers like me, then we can get our fix today. John, I always appreciate your willingness to be transparent and confess your your uh, your weaknesses. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 2 says, verse 9, What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man has imagined, uh, what God has prepared for those who love him. Or some translations say, No mind has conceived 
what God has prepared. So th- this is a subject that is is vast, and it's something to meditate on. It's something that you will never plumb the depths of. So, right. <laughs> you know, a, a two-part wouldn't even do it. A 20-part uh, wouldn't even do it on heaven. But we wanted to cover some of the important subjects. But one of the things I said, I think, last time, which was important, is that um, the heaven that we think of, like, immediately um, after we die, what were some of the questions that we had, John? Yeah, so I remember... Um, um, like what happens when we die? Right. That was one of the questions. What happens when we die? Uh, assuming that God has not returned, oh. you know, we, we, we actually do, even like the thief on the cross when Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. So even though his body goes into the ground, like everyone's does uh, upon death, um, that you, you know, dust to dust we return, that that's a temporary state, that actually we will someday um, no longer have this separation of body and soul, that our body will be reconstituted and that our soul will be reunited with that body. And then we will be in and enjoying the, the new heavens um, and the new earth, if that makes sense. And I would encourage folks that we have this wonderful resource um, in addition to God's word in our tradition, the Reformed tradition, we talk about the Westminster Confession of Faith, and that's our kind of our doctrinal guidance. You know, it's a it's a reference point and it's guidance um, for us to understand what the Bible teaches. And there there are thirty three chapters in the Westminster Confession. They're not long, but the last two um, are on the final judgment and on, you know, the resurrected state that we will enjoy in the new heavens and the new earth. Lots of great bullet points, lots of great informative takeaways. And if you look it up online, um, you can find uh, the Westminster Confession with scriptural support. So there'll be little footnotes in there and you can look up what it says and then where, you know, where they base that in scripture. Yeah, so that makes me think, actually, I've been meaning to do uh, a bit of a study deeper on the Westminster Confession and um, if any of you guys listening want to kind of dive into that with me, maybe discuss a chapter at a time over coffee or something. Um, Great definitely, idea. Def- yeah, definitely approach me at church or, or call me or whatever, and we can do that. Um, now, Troy, you talk about um, that temporary state, and um, and it kind of, as somebody, many of you were um, born and raised Roman Catholic like me, that temporary state is, um, it makes me think of purgatory. Yeah. Is that yeah. kind of, is, is that what you're talking about? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Purgatory is that, uh, you know, Roman Catholic doctrine, um, which is difficult to see substantiated, to be honest with you in scripture. Um, not that that would, you know, inhibit a, a Roman Catholic because the tradition of the church would, you know, be able to uh, withhold something or teach something. And, and that state is, uh, is one of, of preparation for the final judgment, as if you could do something or we could do something for other people in that in-between state uh, of purgatory to prepare our souls for that judgment. And, and there's, not, there's, not, uh, there's not scripture to support that. Yeah. Um, and, and so, no, it is not. That temporary state is not because it is actually, um, you know, we will face the final judgment, um, but that doesn't happen upon our death. Um, we just, you know, we die. Um, you know, our bodies are, are to the ground. Our souls um, will go to either be um, in a state separated from God or with God. Um, one or the one or the other. Not in, not not anything in between. But what's unnatural right, right. and yeah, what's unnatural and temporary is the separation of the body um, mm-hmm. and and the soul. Because we can't experience glory. We're just getting, you know. 
um, the Bible puts a huge emphasis on the resurrection. So we, we know that when Christ returns, there's something that is glorious that we're hoping for that involves the physicality of this earth. You know, what if heaven were a place on earth? Well, it, it actually is. <laughs> and and, and uh, not to get into 80s pop culture, but um, it is a place that is not yet. And in that place, there's the reversal of the curse. Um, and we emphasize the resurrection of Christ because being united to Christ means that Jesus has defeated death, hell, and the grave. And someday there will be no more death. And we will have, you know, physical um, bodies. So we, we will enjoy, you know, the presence of God, but not the fullness of the kingdom to come, which is what I'm describing in what the scripture describes as new heavens, new earth. Now, you might be asking, where do you find that in scripture? Right. Yes, I would like to ask. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's where you, there are great passages. I'll read a few of them here that help us kind of get a picture. When Paul talks about, for instance, in Philippians 1 verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here's a man who is not afraid of dying. And, and in fact, he, he, he's, he's actually longing to be um, with the Lord. He says in verse 22 of Philippians 1, For if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, which yet which I still choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's better. But... To remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, which he's writing to the church, saying, I, I'm going to be here. Um, and, he, and elsewhere, he says, absence from the body, absent from the body and present with the Lord, as if the separation. Another passage, um, reflecting on the life of David, when there's preaching that goes on in Acts 13, it says that David, when he had served his purposes, Acts 13, 36, in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and his body saw uh, decay or corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, Ecclesiastes, which um, some of you may recall we, um, we covered um, uh, this past summer. The dust, it says in Ecclesiastes 12, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God uh, who gave it. Um, Paul, elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 5, that's a familiar, popular passage where he talks about our our bodies being um, like a tent. Our earthly home is like a, a dwelling that is 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 temporary, and that tent groans to be in our heavenly dwelling. And then Second Corinthians five verse five says, "He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee." So we are always of good courage because we know that while we are at home in the body. We are away from the Lord. So we're longing for the heavenly dwelling. We live in this tent, but it is a physical body now, and then it'll be a physical body then, except resurrected, mm-hmm. glorified, like Jesus' body that we will have um, in the new heavens, new earth. So, Yeah, as you're, as you're discussing all that, and I'm envisioning a future heaven, a future um, bodily um, spot in heaven. Um, I'm thinking about like, um, does this, the scripture have anything to say about, uh, are there rewards in heaven? Are there, well, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, there, there are clear references to that. Um, one example would be even in Jesus's teaching would be Matthew six, 
when he says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, because that's moth and rust destroying things and, and, and thieves steal. But then Matthew 6, 20 says, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where none of that happens. So it, it's, it's viewing a place where there are rewards. <clears throat> Several passages that talk about rewards. One of them actually, um, one of our elders who preached for us last Sunday, Mark Rivers, did a great job um, unpacking some of Second Timothy verse um, 7 and 8 of chapter 4 when it talks about finishing the race, fighting mm-hmm. the good fight. Um, and then it says in verse 8 of Second uh, Timothy 4, "...henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness." which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. That's an invitation to, to long for and look forward to, to heaven. Of course, the ultimate reward that sometimes people um, miss, in, in my opinion, um, is, is not things that are about us. I mean, yeah, there are crowns. Yes, there are um, rewards in, in one sense. But then we take that crown, those crowns, and lay them down in worship. So the ultimate reward right. of heaven, I may have mentioned this when we were preaching and um, preaching through some of the, the verses about Messiah in December, is the, the glory of heaven and the new heavens and the new earth of what Christ will bring down here isn't just the absence of suffering, which is an important part, right? There's no more tears. There's no more sorrow. Revelation 21 says yep. that. There is no more conflict, no more cancer. Um, that's a that's pretty appealing. Um, there's no more limitations. There's no more goodbyes. You fill in the blank. All those great qualities, right? And it's the absence of a lot of things that are really, you know, not, unsavory is is a light way to put it. I mean, there's a reason that Paul says in Romans eight, our bodies are groaning, and that's because this world is cursed, broken, fallen, um, and we live in that tension. So, but but again, not. Really, the culmination of heaven is not just the absence of those things. It is the presence of the living God. Right. It's, it's kind of crazy to think that there are people that are longing for heaven, and they go down the list of all the things they're longing for, and there's a strange absence. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus yeah. is the reason that we will enjoy that place. Uh, the, the light of the radiance of his glory will leave us speechless fulfilled like we have experienced contentment we've never known again no no eye has seen no ear has heard no mind can conceive what god has prepared for us okay but that's thanks to jesus right right like he he's the one in his person um and 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 work so yeah i mean it's just thinking about heaven and um this actually kind of relates to some of the feedback we did get and the questions we did get, but we will get to that separately. But will we recognize people in heaven, like their physical yeah. bodies? And well, stuff? again, again, when I talk about heaven, I like to refer to the new heavens, new earth, because it will be here that it dwells, reconstitute, you know, a, a, a new earth that is better than, we talked about in the last episode, better than, the Garden of Eden, because we right. can't fall into sin. So it's a better place. It's here on earth that is physical, and we have a physical glorified body. 
That's for sure. Now, could people recognize that body, right? Can they say, "Oh, I can. Oh, I spot him. There he is over there. It's you know my my, my long lost friend or my my uh, my my cousin or my uncle or this this uh, classmate that uh, you know maybe led me to Christ <laughs> that I, I get to be reunited with." What, That's what, a beautiful. Now, now Scripture supports that because it says, "I'll give you two examples." Um, one is Genesis 25 when it talks about Abraham. I think he died at you know he's like 175 years old. Um, yeah, everybody wants to live that long. Um, but he died at a good old, the, the, the text says, Moses records, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Ah. So there's, a, there's this relational recognition piece. So the other one is uh, 2 Samuel 12, because David is grieving the loss of his son and... And that's part of, you know, that's part of the curse of his own sin. Um, he's grieving the death of his son and he, he stops. I, I mean, he, he's, he's, he's longing to see, he's praying for his son, but he, his son is gone. And he says, now that he's dead, why should I fast and pray? He says, can I bring him back again? This is Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter 12, verse 23. He says, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. So, He's obviously speaking about a reunion that he can go and be reunited um, to his son. He longs for that day. And speaking of of the people in heaven, um, will we will our spouses and will we be married in heaven? Yeah, um, that's a good question that I've I've heard many a time. Um, the short answer is no. We won't be married in heaven. Um, that's kind of a bummer for some people. You know, my wife and I joke. I, personally, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, for people who are unmarried, that's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but for people that have been married for 20 years like myself, I'm thinking, you know, Chris and I are going to find each other. We're going to be roommates, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we might not be married, but we, we want to be back, back together. Um, what I was going to say in connection with that is what Jesus says. Um, he makes it very clear in Matthew chapter 22 that uh, at the resurrection, we will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but be like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? So he's he's eliciting for them to imagine that there is a perfection about heaven, and that doesn't mean uh, marriage. Like, it, it, and and that could be a, a, a sorrow for some who love their spouse of say, 50 years that they lose and they want to be reunited. But to the person who's lost a spouse and been remarried, it, it might be a relief if you really think about it logistically because, you know, you can't go and be a polygamist, <laughs> you know, in the new heavens and the new earth. It wouldn't make sense. Well, who do you get? Who are you married to? Your favorite spouse? Your first spouse? Your last spouse? Well, no, it's not, it's not like that. I think it's good news for people who are unmarried, um, going back to your comment, yeah. because it, it means that if it was part of the glorified state, if you were in the glorified state, then all things that are are part of that perfection are there that we need. Marriage is not. So you don't need marriage to have the fulfillment that God intends for his people. Yeah, no, that's something... If God hasn't called some, you to it. Right. That's something I, I've known to be true, and, and that is just um, living that reality is, is hard for me yeah. sometimes. But but yeah, that is a good reminder of that, you know, like you said, that glorified state doesn't require marriage. All right, so I mentioned that or we mentioned that we got some uh, some listener comments um, along the lines of um, 
well, I previously mentioned, uh, will we recognize people in heaven? So our listener comments were kind of along that light. We got um, two of them here. Um, for, let me start. Uh, we got from Marilyn. She says, truth is, why I don't pray uh, often for Jesus to return is my concern for loved ones and folks that we don't that don't yet know the Lord. My heart is for them to have time to get mm. in the boat with Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, and then a Peter wrote in some, definitely something uh, similar. He says, "Here's something I struggle with in regards to longing for Jesus' return. How does one reconcile longing for heaven with lo- with longing for unbelieving loved ones to come to faith?" So. Kind of, and I have. Yeah. I've, I mean, we we all have people in our lives that we want to see um, saved, and that they would know Christ before, yeah. Um, yeah. before judgment. No, I I think anyone who's given some careful thought um, thinks about that tension and that reality. Um, I don't know that I have a a satisfactory, robust answer except uh, God. <laughs> like <laughs> salvation. The, the testimony of Scripture is salvation is of the Lord. Um, not everyone comes to faith uh, in Christ. Not everyone surrenders. I would love for that to be the case. Um, and I think that that would bring—it does bring God a lot of glory to have more worshipers. So there's nothing wrong with us praying for our loved ones. Certainly nothing wrong we've been called to. We've been commissioned to be Christ's ambassadors and witnesses. So we should be— talking about and, and seeking to win people um, to see the love of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, and follow him um, and become his sons and daughters. Um, but when it comes to the new heavens and the new earth, like I said, it's a place of glory and, and perfection that we would be content because we have seen the Savior. And when when Jesus, near the end of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, prays for his... Um, the calling that God has on him to to face the cup of wrath, and know, he knows he's going to the cross, and he says there that he he's not praying for everyone; he's praying for those that you have given me, in in John seventeen, because he is this high priestly prayer. He is he is interceding for those that he he knows and loves that he's dying for. So he will have everyone there that he wants. Right? Does that make sense? So I'm going to be satisfied because he's satisfied. I'm going to have a sense of contentment because his purposes will be served. One of his purposes in the final judgment is to bring judgment. And we say, well, that's that the sad part of it. No, it's actually not. I don't mean that in a cruel way. It's actually a comforting reality that God would actually be just. He would be a just God. Yeah. And you could say, well, I don't want justice for so-and-so. I want mercy for them. That would be natural. That's what we want for ourselves. And and some for some he does show mercy and, and some he shows justice. But if we get justice, it's just that. It's the just response of God to our rebellion and unbelief. Um and scripture makes that abundantly clear. And and even in our own lives, we we want justice uh for people that wrong us. Yep. We want justice. So so justice isn't uh you know, something that is completely foreign to us. Correct. And that's because we're made in the image of God. And then when we are in the presence of God, made in his image, not only with a conscience and an understanding, but a deep love for him and worship, then we're going to say, if that's what brings God glory, that's what he intends to do. I know Jonathan Edwards many years ago, one of the greatest minds in American history, um, and a, you know, obviously a, a preacher of the gospel, talked about how you know, the ends for which God created the world. And God is glorified in, in pouring out his, 
his justice right. and uh, and even condemning things. So the other thing that I think does comfort you, though, so let me leave you with this for those, and I appreciate, again, Marilyn and Peter writing in about this, is we press on knowing that salvation is of the Lord mm. and that it's 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 really on him. He can sort that out. I don't know the final state of everybody. I know I know people that did convert at, on their deathbed um, that that sought and and found peace with God um, at, at the final day. So where they are, I don't know. I don't like to make comments on where I think people are ultimately. I leave that in the Lord's hands. He can sort that out. I just know that I'll be content with it when it comes, and and maybe I'll find out. You know, in in the final day, obviously, I you know I guess I will because we talked about recognizing people in heaven. I just don't think there will be a void or an emptiness with their absence. I, I spoke to that in, the, in, I think, part one when someone wrote in years ago, will my dog be in heaven? You know, mm. to, to, to Billy Graham when he had an op-ed, you know, Q&A thing that people could write in and they would say, oh, you know, I, I need so-and-so. If you need that there, they will, you know, that will be there. I just, I know that I, I will be content with God and, and what his will is. Right. You regarding... won't be left unsatisfied with any of the no. results of these no. And, and we don't know. We, we, we Ultimately, we pray for and we, we reach out to people, inviting them because we want them to be there with us. And that's a, that's a good, that's not a bad motivation. We want more, but again, we want more worshipers. But the perfect number of worshipers, which I don't know all the names and all the hearts and all the details, but the perfect number of God's elect, this is how the, the scripture refers to them, mm-hmm. his perfect number of the elect, he will gather in. Yeah. All right, so kind of start to maybe wrap things up here again a little uh pressed on time but basically with all of these all that we've talked about today um heaven and 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 what it's going to look like and and who's going to be there and all of these questions that we've kind of gone through how should i mean i'm going to get your thoughts on this how should how does that really affect how i live my life right now like so the famous application point right yeah uh the so what it's it's one thing so to say what? what is it but it's but so what um you know why should we pray for Christ's return why should we think about this why right. why why should it be something we think more of not less about and i think that the, the, the tension exists because our we're just too easily satisfied i don't know how else to put it we we if we can find this world to be satisfying it's it's kind of a crying shame because we haven't really gotten a glimpse of the glory of being um, with God uh, unveiled. Like now we see in a mirror dimly, Scripture says. Then in Romans, Paul says, we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see him face to face. And we will know more. We will have a fuller knowledge and understanding. And that will be awesome. Now, how does that affect how I live now? Well, hopefully it means that I know that's to be my home. And I think the piece, the piece that's missing is, People are so wrapped up in this life trying to create heaven on earth that we live sometimes as if death is not a reality and heaven is a fantasy. But it's the other way around. Death is, death is a reality um, and heaven is a reality that we should be giving thought to. We should be giving thought to both those things. And it's not a fantasy. Heaven is a reality. The new heavens, new earth and that's a place that um, is our home. So we're a citizen of that place and that that kingdom, right? So we are not um, we're not called to be at home 
here. It doesn't mean that we check out, that we don't, we have no regard for the arts or for um, cultivating beautiful things or engineering or building or all those things are good. And we can do all those things to the glory of God, looking forward to the day when we'll do it, but it won't be destroyed with with moth and and rust and and people won't steal our things when we build them and when we um, establish um, something. So I like to emphasize that we're pilgrims. Mm-hmm. The Bible talks about a number of metaphors for the, for the church and for the people of the church who are his followers. He talks about us as soldiers, and he also talks about us as sojourners, as pilgrims. We are not home yet. We're citizens of a future coming well, presently, but it's, it's not in its fullness even now. So here's one past, two passages that I'll kind of leave us with to think about maybe we're too in love with the world. So we, you know, and we're too satisfied here that we're not thinking about the next. But one of them is uh, in, in Titus 2, Paul writes, it says, looking for a blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ask yourself the question, as a, as a so what takeaway, why is this called the blessed hope and it isn't mine? Why, are, why, why should I be looking for the appearing of that as if it were sweet? Mm-hmm. Now, it should affect, in the meantime, when we, when we grapple with that question in earnest with our Bibles open, that it will reorient our thinking, our priorities, and our practices. Last passage that I'll read, and in a lot of these chapters, I would encourage folks to go back and read in the fuller context. Colossians 3 is a great one. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So that's saying ultimately, right? Because we've he writes, Because we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. And then in verse 4 it says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And then it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, he goes on. So that's why we would be wise and we would be smart to think about that place because it will reorient our values um, and we will be compelled to put away things like, he goes on to say, anger and and. Um, malice and wrath and slandering people because he's he's coming back and we want to be ready for that. Now, I just noticed as I was reading this an answer to another question that Tim wrote in, if you'll recall. Yep. Tim asked about whether or not uh, Christ, when he was on earth those, those 33 years, um, was he still at the right hand of the Father? And the answer is partly here um, in Colossians 1, um, Colossians 3, excuse me, verse 1, when it says, that he is seated at the right hand of God. That's where he is now. But during the time that he took on a body, he did not have that. Um, he, did, he did not have that fellowship with the Father like he does now and like he did before coming to earth. So now he sits at a, at a place of authority as our perfect high priest, our reigning king. We're united to him by faith in a mysterious way unbeknownst to us, but in a glorious way, he is coming back. He was confined to a body for those 33 years that he was on earth, and he still has a body. Jesus has a glorified body. He is confined to that as part of his his work and his mission as our Savior. So if, if there's apathy, I would say to people, if there's indifference and apathy um, and disinterest, that, that they would pray that God mm-hmm. would, would, would cultivate 
um, a, a love for these things and a longing for the new heavens, new earth. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, folks, for your for your time. And uh, and we're looking forward to future episodes. We've got an uh, we've got an interview planned uh, with bringing in somebody else uh, on the next episode. So look forward to that. And uh, thanks for listening. And definitely write in, continue to write us and, and let us know what kind of questions you guys have and and any topics, um, any topics you want to hear discussed, any interview uh, people that you want to hear interviewed, that kind of stuff. So communicate with us, text us, call us, email us. Anyways, this has been another episode of Grace Unfolding where we are unpacking, excuse me, the great, the, it's unfolding, unfolding. <laughs> the riches <laughs> of God's grace for God's people. That's what it is. Take care, guys. Thank you.